Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Welcome back everybody to the Red, Orange, and Blue Podcast I am your host as always, the Mexanadian And boy do we have a lot of topics to talk about today Obviously they are primarily going to be Lions and Red Wings themed Because the only thing that the Pistons have done is lol, we lost So, first of all, obviously we gotta get into it The Detroit Lions ended up winning tonight against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I almost said Lightning, but no, it's the Red Wings. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I don't even give a shit about the score, but it was a good win. And they are going to the NFC Championship game for the first time in I don't even know how long. And boy, was it fantastic. See, I was talking to one of my friends uh, during the game on Discord, and just out of nowhere, when that last catch was intercepted, was it was a yell. And when I yelled, it scared him. Uh, he was at, he actually jumped a little bit because that's just how incredible it was. The moment it was intercepted, we knew. Like, it was done, the game was done and over. They, we knew the Lions were going to the NFC Championship for the first time, and God knows how long. I don't know exactly how long. And it's incredible to think of, because during my entire life span so far, all 25 years of it, the theme of it with my generation and generations before me and generations before them were, will we ever see the Lions in a Super Bowl or win a playoff game in our lifespan? And the question was, probably not. But now we're at a point where Motor City, Dan Campbell, Jared Goff, the Detroit Lions have not won one playoff game. They've won two playoff games, and they are going to face the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Can they win? I have no clue. Honestly, I do not know. Um, From everything I've seen, the San Francisco 49ers are an incredibly dominant team, obviously. They were the number one seed for a reason. And sure, they've had some down drops here and there, but overall, they are a very good team. They did not finish first place for no reason. So what I'm concerned about is the Lions defense, which everybody should be. And not just their defensive line, their primary defensive line is pretty solid. It's the secondary, and everybody knows it's the secondary. Their secondary is such trash that you, if you just throw the ball pretty much anywhere at this point, you've got a probably 60-40 chance that someone's going to catch it and it's going to be your team. So that's what I'm worried about with against San Francisco. I don't watch San Francisco, so I don't know how much of their game is based off of them making the deep passes and throws or if they're a running game or what I don't know what their whole game is what I do know is that and teams are catching on Detroit's secondary sucks and Detroit's secondary could be what ultimately loses them the game that and these god-awful third quarter defensive collapses I don't know what it is about third quarter with Detroit with the Detroit Lions it's so obscenely bad the third quarter, whenever the third quarter comes around, I'm like, well, something is going to get fucked up here. And lo and behold, the offensive line just 
crumbles around Jared Goff, not allowing him to get anything going really for the third quarter. And I mean, he got he got stuff going, but it wasn't as crisp and dominant as we know it can be, as we've seen it before against the Rams, as we've seen it earlier in that game. And I'll give it I'll give it to the Buccaneers. They were very solid at stopping the run game up the middle. They did pretty decent at it. They did better than most other teams have in the entire season. So that's what I'm imagining Detroit's going to have to rely on is their offense. You know, with their defense, it's always going to be a 50-50 shot whether what defense you're going to what defense is going to show up, you know? Obviously, you can rely on Aiden Hutchinson to show up every game because he has so far. But other than that, it's going to be something that could end up crippling the Lions in this game. But the upside is their offense has proven it can hang with the best of the best because they are some of the best of the best right now. Obviously, they are the third. They were the third seed. So... The Lions offense clearly can hang with the big boys. It's just a matter if their defense can hold up to the big boys against the big boys as well. Personally, I think it can more for the most part. They're, I say for the most part, not because I don't, I mean, yes, because I think their defense isn't very good, but also because they've proven that they, that their line can hold their secondary hasn't proven, has proven almost jack shit at this point. They've had some solid, good stops, obviously. I mean, in this game today, they stopped, uh, I think, who was it, Joseph? He stopped a touchdown to potentially tie the game. And so it's it's one of those things where, yes, they've made, the lines have made it this far, but it's also a very, very distinct and obvious reminder that the Lions still have work to do. You know, they are way ahead in this rebuild than anyone thought they would be, but you got to keep in mind this rebuild is not done yet. This rebuild isn't 100% done. This is not a fully rebuilt team. A fully rebuilt team is a team like the 49ers that are more well-rounded and, you know, you could legitimately see going to the Super Bowl. In fact, it's predicted that they do go to the Super Bowl because nobody thinks that the Lions can beat the 49ers, which is fair. Obviously, it's fair. But at the same time, you can never count the Lions out, and that was, that's been proven time and time again this season. So I'm looking forward to that game on Sunday. It's going to be a banger, and hopefully the Lions can make it to the Super Bowl. That would be like... Jesus Christ, imagine what that would do to the NFL if the Detroit Lions, the team that's been screwed over consistently and more often than most other teams in the entire league, made it to the NFL. When we, in reality, we all know that they want the 49ers and the Ravens going to the Super Bowl. I mean, hell, they use their colors in the logo for the Super Bowl. They did it the last two years as well, so it's not like it's a secret or anything. So, yeah, I'm really excited and looking forward to the Lions seeing what they can do next. And hopefully they can pull one out of their asses on this one. Because the 49ers, they're not, they're obviously not the LA Rams. They're obviously not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers were part of the tank division. So, like, the, the Buccaneers, they fought tooth and nail to be even 
be able to get into the playoffs. And then they went and beat uh, who did they beat? They beat Philly, if I remember correctly. So it's it's going to be tough, but I do have faith in the Lions more or less. And obviously, this is I am a Detroit sports fan through and through, so I am a masochist at heart. So even if it's uh, just getting run through the entire game, I'm probably still going to watch it. Um, but yeah, so that's going to do it for the Lions section. We got a big section on the Red Wings now uh, for this episode because it is the weekly review of the Red Wings, obviously. Um, and they've been on fire lately. They, uh, the Red Wings have absolutely been on fire. Now, they did, they've lost one game in regulation in the entire month of January, and that was against Carolina the other day. So, we're going to just go through their games starting from Sunday to Sunday, I guess. And that, or no, not Sunday, because that was the Toronto game. We're going to start with the Florida game. Florida game they won three to two in overtime. That was probably the best game I've ever seen the I've seen the uh, Red Wings play all season, and it wasn't even like and you couldn't tell because of the final score being three to two in overtime. But they overcame a goal. They overcame goal deficits in two times. So there was no goals in the first period. It was perfectly fine. Alex Lyon was in that for this game. I uh, if I'm remembering correctly, yes, he was. So they're going into this game in Florida with Detroit not having beat the Florida Panthers or was not having beat Sergei Bobrovsky since the 2019-2020 season, if I remember correctly. And the only person from that team left is Dylan Larkin. So it was big that they won this, and you could tell it was a chip off of their shoulders. So, in the second period, the score opened up. Uh, it was a shorthanded goal, unfortunately. Sam Reinhart, who's having just an incredible season this year. He's a free agent at the end of this year, so he's going to get his money one way or another. Um, he came with a shorthanded breakaway goal. And, yeah, maybe you'd like Lyon to stop that one, but it was such a good move that I don't think Lyon stood much of a chance. Uh, but then Rasmussen gets the tip. From a point shot off, uh, off a point shot from Mata, it tipped off of his skate. So his last two goals were tips from his skate, which is just incredible. Uh, but that was assisted by Mata and Cop. Then Fabry gets it with a beautiful, beautiful play by Rasmussen. Rasmussen made a lot of stuff happen in this game, and that was also assisted by Mata. And the market gets the overtime winner on the power play. And this, like I said, this was just a very well-fought and well-played game by the Detroit Red Wings. And I couldn't have asked for far more. And you could tell, like I said, this was a big chip off of their shoulder because they went into Florida, beat Florida for the first time. It was They beat they haven't beat Florida since the 2021 uh, season. It was They haven't beat Florida, not Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky's almost had like a perfect record against Detroit, though. So it's... It, it was just a fun game to watch, you know. They never gave up. As Ken Daniel so eloquently put it, there is no quit in this Red Wings team. And they're, they're finding ways to win. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, well, we'll get into that in a second. Let's go through the other two games. Uh, their one regulation loss this season, this year so far, 
uh, was from was against Carolina, and this was a game where I don't think the Red Wings played their best, but I don't think they played their worst either. This was the definition of a mediocre game. It was four to two to Carolina, and Carolina is just so incredible at keeping shots low. Like the entire game, Detroit only got twelve shots on goal. That is a season low for Detroit. And while they well the Carolina had thirty. So that but if you look at the score, they scored two goals on twelve shots. So and there were so, so many opportunities for them to shoot and this game could have been Detroit's easily because they were going up against Antiranta and Antiranta has not been very good this season he was waived and the only reason he got called back up was because of the injuries to Kachekov and obviously Anderson is out dealing with a blood clot issue so they had no other option but to go with Antiranta so I mean you could tell he was off his game because the first goal was cost and he got to start of the season from Valeno and Sprung and it just kind of rolled in you know Ranta didn't have control of it it rolled in Costin gets his third of the season but then oh, like 16 seconds later Martino comes in scores from Burns and Stahl second period uh six at 1625 Natchez buries one from Bunting and Orlov but then 19 and 1917 Comfort gets his 10th of the season, becoming the 7th Red Wing, I believe, this season. They hit double-digit goals from Larkin and Ghost Despair. Larkin's on an incredible point streak. We'll get into that. Uh, but then Svechnikov scores on the power play with the game-winning goal, and then Sebastian Ajo with an empty net. So it wasn't their best-played game. There were so many odd-man rushes that Detroit had that they could have shot on, but they just didn't. And it was so, so infuriating to watch. But overall, one regulation loss in the entire year of 2024 so far, I think that us as fans can take it. Um, And then we get into tonight, or Sunday, I guess. I I don't know, I'm late recording this because of some other stuff that's happened. But they went on to take take on the Tampa Bay Lightning, literally... 20, I think 30 minutes after the Detroit Lions ended up beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and deep in the Red Wings won two to one at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Detroit has conquered Tampa Bay this season and it is so fantastic to see. Like it was cool because they because Tampa Bay the Tampa Bay Lightning put up a cool little graphic uh, where it showed both of them and the Buccaneers coming into Detroit, and it was a cool graphic. It was pretty sick, but it was all in vain because both Detroit teams won, and we own Tampa Bay this weekend. Oh man, it was so good to see. Uh, and this game could have very much gone any other way because if you guys remember last season. The game that really started, a lot of people will point to the Ottawa games that started the downfall with the Red Wings, but if you ask me, the real downfall was the last Tampa Bay game last season where Vasilevsky basically won three, Vasilevsky won that game three nothing. You know, the Red Wings 100% should have won that game. The Red Wings dominated that game. The Red Wings were, they had, uh, they I think they almost had like triple the shots that Tampa Bay had, and Vasilevsky stonewalled all of them. And yes, Vasilevsky is one of the greatest goaltenders in the world, but they're all the signs of this happening 
again, were here in this game. And it all started with Victor Hedman scoring eight, uh, just about nine minutes in from Kucherov in point. It was a beautiful play. I personally think Perron missed his assignment, but at the end of the day, it was a beautiful play. Lyon didn't stand a chance. Nobody else was there to cover the man. Oh, it was beautiful. It was it was just fantastic. So yeah, it was Hedman from Kucherov in point. Kucherov gets his 48th assist. Kucherov already has almost 80 points this season, and we're only halfway through the season. So it's going to be a wild trip to the end of the season for some of these guys. But then Lucas Raymond gets one on a pretty weird goal because he shoots. It was originally a Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin was breaking into the zone. He got stood up a little bit and stopped, so he ended up passing and getting it back to Raymond, who was wide open behind him. Raymond shoots, and it kind of rolls up Vasilevsky's shoulder and stick and goes behind him. And Vasilevsky, it was going to go in anyways, but Vasilevsky trying to stop it and swung around, and his stick hit it into the net. So Raymond gets the goal from Larkin and Perron. And then Daniel Sprong off of a breakaway in the second period gets the game winner, and that was just a nice, good snapshot. And he said he said in his post-game interview that he, or post-game press conference or whatever you want to call it, that he thought about passing because he had Comfort coming up behind him, but he thought about he thought about passing it. But people on Twitter or X, if you want to call it, such as myself, you know, we were hounding him about not shooting like he should be or like he was before. So he decided, hey, screw it, I'm just gonna shoot it, and bam, it went in, and he got the game-winning goal. So that's Sprong's 12th of the season. I think he's got 30, 31 points now. So he's doing really good, and if Steve Eisenman doesn't re-sign him in the offseason, I'm going to be pretty upset because Daniel Sprong, I don't know what it is about Daniel Sprong. If my, uh, My guess is that it's because of his defensive play, but at the same time, that shouldn't make much sense. That doesn't make much sense or shouldn't play too much into it because you've got players all over the league that are incredible, incredible offensive players but are shit defensively and they have permanent homes on their team. Like Austin Matthews, he's almost certainly the best pure goal scorer in the league, but he can't play defense very well. Look at Andre as a smaller, I guess as a smaller example, Andreas Anthonisiu. Some of you Detroit fans probably remember him. God awful defensively. Oh my God, is he bad defensively? Like I think he was a negative seventy four at one point in a in one of in a season at at some point. I think that was when he was playing for. Oh, I can't even remember who he was playing for at the time. I want to say Anaheim, but I don't think it was Anaheim. Um, no, he was playing. Uh, for L.A. at the time. That's where he was playing. He was like a negative 74 or something like that with L.A., I'm pretty sure. But he's got a permanent home on Chicago. Now, obviously, Chicago's not trying to win games. But, you know, I think he signed a two-year extension with Chicago. But he's a 30-goal scorer all live long day when he's healthy. So you've got these guys who are just terrible defensively but incredible goal scorers who find homes consistently. So I don't know why Sprong gets bounced around the league like that. Like, I'm pretty sure he played on Pittsburgh, and then he was in Anaheim, and I'm pretty sure he was an L.A. King at one point, and then he was Seattle last year. Like, he was, he's bounced around the league. So I think that Eisman should sign him for at least another two years. Um, 
because that's what Detroit needs. Detroit needs depth goal scoring, and if you can get Strong, who is just thriving on the third and fourth lines, essentially, then keep that. Lock him up all the live long day, because if you put him with someone like Valeno, well, then his defense isn't going to fucking matter because you're with Valeno. Or if you put him with a Comfort or a Cop or someone who's fantastic defensively, you know, you're, you're going to have Nate Danielson and Casper coming up in the next few years. So you put them, you sign him, if he's still here, you put him with them, and it, it all works itself out. That's why you have a well-rounded team. It's why the Toronto Maple Leafs are likely never going to win a cup with the team that they have now. Because they've sank, like, what is, like, 40-something percent of their cap into four players. Actually, I think it's more than 40% now. Into four players. And one, maybe two of which, that being Marner and Tavares, can actually defend. Because you don't see Matthews and Nylander out on the penalty kill. But you see Marner out there. Because Marner is, uh, uh, you know, he is one of the best two-way forwards in the entire league. So, it's definitely something that I think Eisman should consider, and I'm sure he is considering, because I do like Sprong, and if he stays here, obviously he's going to want a decent payday. He's only getting paid $2 million so far this year. So, he's I think for a guy like Sprong, like a third, fourth liner who could score 20, 25 goals in a season... Dude, I say you get that for like four or five mil all the live long day. Four, this is like four mil for two or three years. Hell yeah, dude, go for it. That's a no brainer. So, I think like I, said, I think they, the, the 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 whole sprong thing is something that I think a lot of Red Wings would like to see. And speaking of points, what a segue, right? Dylan Larkin is on a eight game point streak now after tonight. Um, he has been on fire. He is definitely back, and he is currently sitting atop of the Red Wings points at 41 points with 18 goals, 23 assists, 41 points. He has one more goal than Alex Debrinkit does, 17 goals, 23 assists, and 40 points. And that brings us to the next topic, which is Alex Debrinkit. He is slumped. He hasn't had a goal in 10 games, which everybody knew that Alex Debrinkit was probably going to be a bit streaky at least as far as the Red Wings being on the Red Wings goes but it it, it is kind of sad because he wanted to play here and everybody you know he was on fire he was unstoppable at the beginning of the season and then you know the Sweden trip and everything came and he petered off a little bit but he was still racking him in a bit he had some two goal games mixed in there and then Detroit went into December and everything collapsed. And that's where I think Debrinkit lost a little bit. My, my thing with Debrinkit that I've been seeing is he, I believe he's just thinking too much now. You know, I think now that Kane's here, he's being looked upon to be more, not, not more playmaker. Obviously, Lalonde obviously 100% wants him to be the shooter that he is. <laughs> But I think himself, sorry, I inhaled and exhaled at the same time there. I don't know what the fuck happened. But I think himself is trying to be more of a playmaker now. And it's really hurting him because his shooting percentage is way down from the first half of the season. 
and it's not good for the team. Now, uh, obviously, thankfully, right now, the team is being able to subsidize, you know, what all offense to bring it and Raymond haven't been able to provide lately. You know, guys like Sprong, Cop, Fabry, Perron, Rasmussen, they're all picking up the slack, but you know, eventually that's going to wear off. And if Debrinket and if guys like Debrinket and Raymond don't start picking it up here soon, it could be pretty bad for Detroit. So, yeah, Larkin on an eight-game point streak, and Debrinket, I think, obviously Debrinket's going to pick it back up. I still believe that Debrinket can score 40 goals this season, especially when Kane comes back. And it's going to be, it's going to be a trip. So, like, the second half of the season is going to. Um, and, you know, going back into the whole depth scoring thing, let's talk about that third line of Rasmussen, Kopp, and Fisher. Because, oh my god, do I love this line. This is a line that defies all laws of nature. Like, out of all three of these guys, Rasmussen's the most athletic. And this line, on paper, shouldn't be bringing any offense. Like, straight up. This line just screams, shut down and beat the hell out of your line. But instead, they've become the beat the hell out of you and score goals line. Like, Kopp was on a three-game goal streak there. Rasmussen has had, uh, has had quite, has been pretty hot lately. Fisher has been just Fisher's been a great Sunquist replacement honestly. You know, Oscar Sunquist was brought in to be the be a big body, net front presence and Fisher's doing what what Sunquist couldn't last season. So I'm really happy for this line. It's been the best line for the last 2 weeks. So I really hope they can keep that up because as everybody keeps saying, they are the engine of this team. They are called upon, and it's obvious they're called upon. When things aren't going Detroit's way, they're called upon to go out there, make chances, and make life a living hell for the team that Detroit's playing. And it's because of them, as well as the Lark. All, all of this stuff is what is keeping Detroit in the playoff hunt. Like, obviously, coming out of December, if we didn't have that bad December, Detroit is firmly sitting in the third place spot in the Atlantic. Obviously, right now, they are still playing. They are still sitting in the third spot in the Atlantic. But the problem there is they, or at least I'm fairly certain they are. I can't remember. I don't know if Toronto won or not. If they did, I'm pretty sure Toronto jumps us just based off the point percentage. But regardless, Detroit... Would would be firmly in the third place spot if they didn't have such a bad December. Because Toronto has been struggling so far. They've won one out of their last seven or something like that. Not counting today because I don't know if they won today. And a lot of that, one of them was against Detroit, but a lot of them were gold. They were leading going into the third period. Like the, the, um, the uh, Colorado game. I think they were leading going into the second or third period, three nothing, and they lost that game six to three. So Toronto's been struggling. Tampa Bay has been rolling, but obviously Detroit won tonight. And then Florida and Boston are almost out of reach at this point. Is so not saying Detroit couldn't catch them if they keep this run going, but they're pre- like last I saw, Florida was like eight points ahead of Detroit. 
and Boston's like 12 or something. So it's they're pretty much almost completely out of reach from Detroit. But if Detroit can get into a third place spot, that would be fantastic for the playoffs. Now they would go in and have to face the Florida Panthers, which I think would just be a fantastic series. You know, because if that one game that they played a few days ago was any showed anything, it's that these two teams are there's a rivalry brewing with these two teams, and I am here for it. Detroit seems to be having a rivalry with they've got a rivalry going with at least three Atlantic teams right now: Ottawa, Boston, Florida, and there's a physical rivalry too. Not just a hey, we're an original six team, you're an original six team. There's history there. No, this is straight up. With these three teams, a physical, we're going to beat the hell out of you rivalry. So this second half of the of the the of the for your regular season is going to be incredible. Now I do have to remind everybody that there is a very very solid chance that Detroit doesn't make the playoffs this season and that's not going to be a knock on the on the Red Wings. You know, unless they colla- completely collapse in the next 2 months here, the uh, next 2 or 3 months that the odds Detroit is going to like the odds Eisenman's going to blow the team up like he did last season is pretty small. So, and I've got far more faith in this te- the team this season than I do the last season's team. So, it's going to, the East is going to be fun, you guys. Like, you've got, how many teams do you have fighting for the Eastern wild card spot right now? Okay, Toronto did win, so that's unfortunate. But, looking at the wild card, you've got, counting Detroit right now, one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the East that are, let's see, Pittsburgh's the farthest behind uh, who could convincing, who could actually make the playoffs. Um, they are the farthest behind with six points behind Detroit and Tampa. So it goes Detroit, Tampa. Those are the two wildcard spots, both with 53 points. Then the Islanders with 51, Capitals with 50, Jersey, you got the Devils with 49, and Pittsburgh with 48. Then you got your bottom four, Montreal, Buffalo, Columbus, Ottawa. Dude, Ottawa's going to finish below Montreal this year probably, and it's so fucking funny. Like, they've played the least amount of games in the entire league, I'm fairly certain. So, it's... Let's see. Okay, they are tied with Edmonton for having played the least amount of games. Edmonton's only played 42 games, and they're on a 13-game win streak. Like, let's talk about that for a second. The Edmonton Oilers are on a 13-game win streak. What the fuck is that? Like, how how do you do that? I don't understand the logic behind it because it shouldn't be possible. There, it, there's shouldn't there should not mathematically be a possible way. Or scientifically, for a team that was at one point lower than the San Jose Sharks. I'm pretty sure. No, 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 they weren't below the San Jose Sharks. Chicago was below the San Jose Sharks at one point. But this, these teams were like, like it was at the beginning of the season for the first month and a half, it went. You know, for all like pretty much 
Ottawa, Chicago, Edmonton, San Jose. Like, those were the bottom four teams. Now your bottom four is Ottawa, Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose. So Anaheim kind of slid in there because Anaheim's suffered quite a bit as of late from their hot start. But there is no logical reason why the Edmonton Oilers should be on a 13-game win streak like they are now. It's just just, just scientifically. I guess when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and Zach Hyman playing on your team, it can, you know, that shit just kind of happens, I guess. But it's it's just, it's uncalled for. So I, I'm, I'm at a loss. But we are now going to get into... Our uh, Red Wings prospect report, and I put a poll up on the official Red, Orange, and Blue Twitter. You can find that in the description of whatever you're listening on, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, I'm fairly certain I'm on, we're on. I can't remember everything that we're on, but for sure, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, and, Viver, and Acast as well. So, but this one is going to be... Axel Sandin Pelica. And as a lot of you guys know, Axel Sandin Pelica was taken 17th overall by the Detroit Red Wings this season in the 2024 draft. And he is an incredibly exciting player. He's broken, or at least was on the verge of breaking, several SHL records for a play an 18-year-old in the playing in the SHL. And it's a bit insane. If I can get anything on my computer to fucking load right now, because he's like he's a kid, he's 18 years old, playing in the men's league. Um, he remains unsigned right now, but Detroit's got like two or three years to sign him since he's playing overseas, and they're going to sign him. Obviously, uh, he's injured right now. He got injured a little bit ago, uh, like right after the World Juniors, or I think he got injured during the World Juniors, and then ended up uh, after the. After they lost, after Sweden lost in the silver medal round, he ended up and he stopped playing because he was injured. Uh, so just this season alone, he had in the SHL 13 points, nine goals, four assists in 25 games. So obviously not world-burning numbers, but that's impressive for an 18-year-old in the SHL. He's over a half point per game. And that's as a defenseman as well in the SHL as an 18-year-old. And so then he went to Laurel Juniors, and in 14 games, five goals, five assists for 10 points. So it's the kid's incredible. Like, and his defensive game doesn't slump either. Like he was, uh, what is he? He he's really good in the defensive zone. You know, he was uh, he's a minus seven in the SHL. But I'm pretty sure that's due to his team not being incredible. I think I could be wrong on that. I don't follow the SHL very closely. But don't let that plus minus because plus minus is a fucking useless stat. He is really he, he's good in the defensive zone. And then even before that, uh, in his 22-23 season, plus 15. So. He was projected before he got injured in 42 games to be have 15 goals, 7 assists, 22 points. So he's going to be something. I do believe that next season he, there, he he's got two ways. One, he's going to get signed next season by Iserman. 
and he's going to play one more season in the SHL like Casper did, and then he's going to come over and go into the AHL, and then he's going to come make a jump to the NHL. Maybe. He might spend two years in Grand Rapids. We don't know yet. Um, his trajectory is definitely not the same as Danielson's, who Danielson, it's very possible he makes the opening night roster next season. But I'm excited for Sandy and Pelica. He is a great offensive defenseman, but he does not lack in the defensive zone. He is not like Eric Carlson or all these other offensive, these air quotes, defensemen. I've never liked the word offensive defenseman, dude. Like, that's just saying, it may as well just say they're a fourth forward out there at this point. Because, I mean, do you look at Shane Gostaspare and say, oh, dude, that guy's a defenseman. He could defend anybody. No, you don't. You look at Olimata or Mo Sider and be like, now that's a defenseman. You don't look at Shane Gostaspare or Jeff Petrie and be like, those guys are, yeah, those are those, those are the guys we want stopping people. You don't look, you don't do that. Lalon does. But I, I, I don't. And this is, look. I played hockey for almost 20 years. I played defense and left wing for all of those. It was primarily defense, but if I needed to, I went up to left wing. So I I, I know a thing or two about playing defense. And what goes to spare, the difference between goes to spare and Mata is night and day between their defensive styles. Because Mata is stay-at-home defensemen. Don't let them get as don't let them get any offense or get let them don't let basically let them get as little offense as possible which ideally would be no offense but your whole job as a defenseman at least your primary job at this point is to make sure as little offensive possible make sure the pucks don't get to your net essentially that's that's the dumbed down version that i can give you is to make sure the pucks don't get to the net and Mata does that very well. Mata's like a plus of 12 or 13 on the season right now. And like I said, plus minus is a useless stat. But once it gets above or below 10, then it kind of stands out a bit. So, yeah, there's there's big differences. But Axel Sandin Pelica is a very good mixture of a Shane Ghost Despair combined with an Oli Mata. Like, it was, it's like a, an Oli, an Oily, uh, uh, nope. I was going to say something there that wouldn't have made sense and sounded a bit fucked up. But, yeah, Sandy Pelica, I'm really excited for. He looks fantastic. I watched him in the World Juniors, and I watched one or two games that were streamed from Elite Prospects for free. So, I've seen a few of his... I've seen a decent amount of him to know that he is going... He has the potential to... His ceiling has the potential to be a be a top he could potentially be a Norris contender if you're asking me like he can potentially reach at least Kale, probably Kale McCarr honestly I believe he can reach Kale McCarr levels do I think he will it's unlikely because the odds of a prospect reaching their ceiling is very low like there's one, maybe at most 2 to 3% of every prospect that's ever been drafted reaches their ceiling. And unless your name is Connor Bedard, you're probably not going to. So like we see we we see it now with Yuraj with Slavkovsky in Montreal. Shane Wright hasn't done what he's wanted to do, what he's been projected to do. 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Sandin Pelico, though. Like I said, I do believe he spends one more, probably spends one more year in the SHL, signed by the Red Wings, mind you, because they don't want to lose him. So he probably gets signed by Steve Eisenman next season, stays in the SHL for one more season, comes over to the AHL, gets used to North American ice for a year, maybe two, depending on how he gets, how, depending on how he acclimates, and then we'll see him in the show finally. Um. So, but now I want to get into something that it was brought up in the uh, Grindline podcast Discord. Shout out to the Grindline podcast. Uh, but somebody asked uh, them, and I'm stealing this question because I fucking can. What player from the bottom five teams would I take if uh, when they when they start signing off assets? Essentially, so essentially, I guess the whole uh theoretical situation is if the trade deadline was to happen today essentially you know if the trade deadline comes these teams are selling get these guy selling guys off and you had to pick from the roster almost in just from the entire roster essentially who would you take and for those of you who don't know i read off the bottom four but the bottom five are Columbus, Ottawa, Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose. So we'll start off with Columbus first. And Columbus is interesting because they have a much better team than I think their record shows. Like they've got so they've got a lot of talent on this team. Johnny Gaudreau, Anna Fantilli, Zach Borinsky, Krill Marchenko, Ivan Provorov is mid. Um, Marchenko's pretty mid too. Like they've got solid talent here. Like Patrick Line, he should be fan fucking fantastic, but he just hasn't been. So if you start selling off assets, and I'm Steve Eiserman, I think I would probably go for Zach Wierenski. Honestly, I probably would. Um, I know a lot of people will say Johnny Gaudreau, Adam Fantilli. Columbus isn't selling either of those guys. Um, I say probably go for Zach Wierenski. He's a solid defenseman, uh, pretty decent offensively. He's a bit of a playmaking. He's he's a power play quarterback essentially. He's a plus two on the season. Like I said, always pre- and whenever time I met, uh, pre- use plus minus, just preface it with plus minus is a pretty useless fucking stat. So, but I, I I'm gonna say it anyways because people like plus minus for whatever reason but he's a plus two on a god awful Columbus Blue Jackets team and plus him and I don't know if you guys know this but him and Dylan Larkin were roommates so I would take Zach Wierenski he would um, he would pretty much slot right into the lineup and I believe he would probably trade or at least try to trade one of Petrie or Hull you know, a lot of people are saying Mata, and that's primarily just because Mata is the easiest guy to move out of everybody. He's got he's got really good uh, value right now. Like he's not like probably like you could, as far as draft picks goes, you could probably only get like a third or a fourth rounder for him, or you know a few third like two third rounds or something like that. Um, so you won't get an incredible amount for Mata, but you could move him. I personally don't think he should, especially with Edvinson more likely than not coming up next season. You want someone like Amada to pair up with him, so that way he has that stabilizing 
defensive partner because we we all seen what Mata did for Hironic last season. So I think that you keep Mata and try to move a Justin Hall or a Jeff Petrie or I, someone along. Jeff Petrie and Justin Hall would probably be my first two choices to try and move. But both of them have no move, have no trade clauses, so it's going to be difficult to try and get. It'll be difficult to have somebody waive their no trade clause if you're getting ready to, if you're gearing up to make a playoff run. But if we, this is this whole situation is hypothetical. If I could trade for anybody, um, so I would go for Zach Wierenski. He's a left-handed D, so you know Detroit's got a lot of those, but. Most of them kind of suck. Like, Wallman's good. Obviously, Mata's good. But as far as power play quarterbacks go, the only one we have is Ghost. And Ghost Despair, if you haven't noticed, sucks at defense. So I'd go for Zach Borinsky for Columbus, which will bring us to the Ottawa Senators. Now, the Ottawa Senators is going to be tricky because I enjoy quite a few of the players they have on the team. Like, I think Sanderson is going to be one of the best. He's going to be a beast of a defenseman when he eventually matures and gets into his groove. Um, Do I think he's going to be a stellar defensive defenseman? No, he's going to be an offensive defenseman all the live long fucking day. But if I had to choose somebody who would realistically, that's an asterisk on this as well, realistically be able to trade for out of everybody on this team, oh, it's 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 tough. Um, because I'm tempted to go with Josh Norris. He is a former 30-goal scoring second-line center, and I do believe he still has that in him. But there are some other interesting ones on here. Uh, Shane Pinto would be a nice one. Obviously, he just got signed to a Ligman deal for one year. So I wouldn't mind Shane Pinto to be on this team. I think Shabbat would be a distant, be a, a decent grab. Uh, even Greg might be a semi-decent grab, you know. He's a plus twenty-two on the year, which says a lot for Detroit, for not just not Detroit, for the Senators as well, plus fifteen. So, if I had, if I had to, I think I'm taking Josh Norris. Honestly, I think I'm taking Josh Norris, um, a, a second-line center who put up thirty goals in the in the past. Sign me up all the live long day. Plus, if you need to, he can move to the wing. When guy because you know guys like Fabry is pro, Fabry is probably not getting resigned after next season because next season I think is his last year of his contract, so he's probably not getting resigned. Um, there's a few of the guys on the roster now that probably aren't going to get resigned once their contract's up. So I say get Josh Norris. That would be my pick, and you could slide him to the wing. You could keep him at center. It doesn't matter with him honestly at this point. So I would take Josh Norris. Like I said, these are people who you can realistically trade for. Obviously, if I could trade for anybody, I would be like, give me Tim Stutzla. But they're not, Ottawa's never going to give up Tim Stutzla unless they plan on blowing the fucking team up again. Which I don't think they plan on doing because new ownership and whatnot. 
Uh, but next, we're going to Anaheim. And Anaheim's got a few players that I think would be interesting to take a look at and look at, you know, a trade. And a lot of people will immediately, immediately go to Trevor Zegras. No. I... Now, do I... Should, would I mind Zegras on this team? No, not at all. He's a goal scorer. And he hasn't been a goal scorer this season. He's got four goals, three assists, or seven points. But... He is a goal scorer. Now he is definitely is the definition of a Gen Z TikTok goal scorer. Everything has got to be fancy with got everything's fancy and whatnot. But he's effective more or less. So this is just just isn't his year so far. And he would be somebody that a lot of people would take a look at and be like, yes, please. But honestly, if you ask me. I would probably want to go for somebody like Mason McTavish. Uh, McTavish is having a very underratedly well season for being on Anaheim. He's got 13 goals, 15 assists, 28 points. And I think he could do wonders in Detroit on uh, on the wing with, say, Comfer. Throw him on the second line with Comfer and whoever else you've got at the time, you know? I think you could do that. Um, Another interesting person to possibly go for would be Silverberg. I think he would be pretty decent to go for. So, obviously, this Anaheim Ducks team is filled with young and veteran veteran stars. Some people will look at Alex Killorn and go, like, I'll take him, but I don't want Alex Killorn on the team. we got enough veterans on the team already. So, I, I, I would probably go with Mason McTavish. Now, he would cost a pretty penny. He, he would probably cost a decent prospect. Like, you would probably have to give up, I don't know, probably anti-Tuamisto and maybe, I don't know, maybe you give him the sign. Maybe you give Anaheim the signing rights to Guylander um, and then probably a pick. But Lucas Dostal is also another interesting one that I think would be interesting to go for. You know, obviously a lot of people will be like, Gibson, Gibson, we should get Gibson. He's an elite goalie. Yeah, he's an elite goalie. He, he was an elite goalie, but, you know, he's, what, 32 now or something like that? So he's 30. So he's, I mean, he's in the prime for a goalie, but he's also stuck on Anaheim. So you've got you got to take that into consideration for both sides. You know, it's not not only is it he's stuck in Anaheim, so his numbers very well could be very skewed, but it's also he's in Anaheim, so they're going to want a lot for him. And plus, his cap hit is what like six and a half million or something like that. I you don't want to take on a contract hit like that unless you know he's still an elite goalie. So I would if I like if goalie wise I'd probably acquire about Dostal, but they're probably looking at Dostal as their goaltender of the future. So which is fair. Dostal has done nothing but prove he's a solid goaltender. He's uh, got a 900 save percentage. So you can't really go wrong with that. But yes, like I said, I would probably go and try and acquire about Mason McTavish. Um, but that that that's that's just me. Next for Chicago, obviously, I would love to have Connor Bedard, uh, but that's never going to happen in the unless Chicago, for whatever reason, blows it up or Connor Bedard asks to be moved. Um, 
but if we're going down through everything, everyone on uh, on Chicago, there isn't a lot here. But if you ask me, I would probably go. Oh, it's tough. Anthony C is there for the taking, bring him back home to Detroit and be a solid goal scorer. But his defense really sucks, and Detroit's defense sucks now as it is. So I would probably look at goaltending, and Morazic's having a great year, especially in Chicago. He's a 906 save percentage in Chicago. But Morazic been there, done that. We all know that he can't sustain this play. Uh, Arvid Soderblom is interesting, too. You know, he is the brother of Elmer Soderblom. And he's not nearly as big as... Elmer is, uh, I think Arvid's what six foot two, six foot three, yeah, and Soderblom's fucking what six foot eight, so not as tall as Elmer, but I do think Arvid Soderblom has the potential to be a solid goaltender in this league. So I think you look at somebody like him. Uh, there's also there's also uh, Bolivier you can look at. Um, Kurashev would be another interesting one to look at. So there, 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 there's some guys on Chicago that you would probably take a look at, but if I had to pick out of everybody, it would probably be Arvid Soderblom. You know, he's probably better than James Reimer at this point, uh, more or less. You know, if he was in front of a competent defense, he probably would be better than James Reimer. But I think, yeah, Arvid Soderblom would make a just do one for one swap. Reimer Soderblom done. Uh, but that brings us to the San Jose Sharks. And obviously, I'm going to pick Philip Zadina. Yep, Philip Zadina. No, God, no. I do not want Philip Zadina back on this team whatsoever. Um, I don't even know what his current stats are. I know they're not very good. Philip Zadina, 5 goals, 7 assists, 12 points in 41 games. Now, granted, it is San Jose. But if you're looking at San Jose and you're looking at players to go for. I think the obvious one would probably be Thomas Hurdle. He would probably be a solid person to go for. He was drafted by San Jose in 2012, so he's a bit older. He's, I think, 30, right? 30? I'm trying to do the math on that. Um, yeah, he's 30 years old. Six foot three, left-handed center. You could put him on the wing, obviously. He's got 14 goals, 18 assists, 32 points in 45 games. So he's over half a point per game in San Jose. And uh, Hurdle would be someone to go for. Um, you know, you've got, I don't know, Ferrero would probably be de- would probably be somebody who you might want to take a look at as well. I think he might have been drafted by San Jose too. Yeah, he was drafted in the second round by San Jose in 2017. Uh, so they might not want to let him go. Um, Eklund is another one that you might want to take a look at. He's pretty decent, but, well, he was drafted in 2021 by San Jose, so they might not be so keen to give him up as well. So there's, there, there's no shortage of guys on San Jose that you would want to take a look at. Um, obviously, as far as goalies go, Blackwood would probably be solid grab for somebody uh, for Detroit as well because Blackwood... He, for the longest time on a god-awful San Jose team, had an above 900 save percentage. Like, he was, like, at a 913 for a solid two months. And then everything, you know, that was when they were going 0-11. You know, that's when they hadn't won, like, their first 11 games of the season. 
but Blackwood has shown that in the worst of times he can come through. So, but I think in the end, I would probably go for Tom, try and go for Thomas Hurdle. He would probably be the guy I'd go for. Um, goal scoring guy who, you know, he's a playmaker, it looks like, essentially. So, you know, but that's who I would go for. Um, you know, they, it, it's fun to inquire about this stuff because obviously, when the, as the trade, trade deadline approaches, you're, these bottom five teams will be looking to move guys. Uh, Columbus, Ottawa, Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose. They'll be looking to move people for futures or other players that can help them in the future because they're playing for the draft lottery at this point and they want to get as many prospects as possible. So my final thoughts on Detroit sports right now is... This is the end, by the way. I'm going to give my final thoughts on the state of Detroit sports at the end of every podcast. Um, I think it's going great, you know. Uh, We sacrificed the Pistons this year, so that way the Red Wings and the Lions could have have good years. Uh, The Lions are looking... they They do have the potential to make it to the Super Bowl, and that is fantastic. I never thought I would say that in my life. But they look like they have Super Bowl potential. Uh, the Red Wings look like they are they have playoff potential. The Pistons, like I said, it was a well worth their sacrifice. It is not in vain right so far. Um, and then the Tigers, they're looking toward the spring training is about to start up. So it's it's it, it's a great time to be a Detroit sports fan. Um, at least right now, once hockey and football season's over. We may start to be rethinking those because I don't know how well the Tigers are going to be, and obviously the Pistons are just going to keep sucking for probably a few more years at least. Um, but all in all, I cannot be upset with how Detroit sports have been turning up, have been showing up so far lately. And yeah, that's it. So I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Red, Orange, and Blue podcast. This is the second episode, and I'm enjoying doing this. I really am. I love talking about Detroit sports, and it's 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 fun now because, you know, we've got the Lions and Red Wings as winning teams. So it's going to be much harder to do this when the Red Wings and Lions seasons are done, and I've got to cover the Tigers and the Pistons. It's going to be harder to do that, but I'm going to suffer through it, and hopefully you guys suffer through it with me because I can't do it alone. Um, But yeah, you guys, if you guys want updates on the podcast or just general bullshittery, you guys can follow me on X at the underscore Mexanadian and the podcast uh, on X. All of those links will be in the description of whatever you're listening listening to this podcast to. And I let me know on Twitter as well what you guys think of anything on here. What do you guys think of what do you guys think of Detroit sports right now? What five players would you pick from the bottom five teams in the NHL? And how do you think do you guys think the Lions can go to the Super Bowl? Do you think the Lions are a future Super Bowl team? Like I, I love talking about it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. My name is the Mexanadian, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Adios, everybody.
Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare starring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Get me a shrink who can catch me